high. Oftentimes you'll have somebody who is very capable, but they're in the wrong spot within the organization. You need to have a succession plan in place from day one. You want to bring people along, essentially to be able to come up and take your job. When is it time to leave? It's very important to rejuvenate yourself for your next adventure. And you can't do that until you really look at what you've done, what you've learned in order to get excited about that next journey. The air freshener nobody wanted to buy. Especially in entrepreneurial companies that are bootstrapped, you can have a great product, but if you're not able to promote the benefits and make the consumer aware of what they do, that product's gonna die on the vine. This is the language of business. It's a podcast designed to inspire and inform entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and current senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Mike Dreisler is originally from Brooklyn and went to college to be a doctor, but he and his science courses didn't have good chemistry. Next stop, law school and a move out to Vegas. Now, six jobs and 20 years later, he's the president of Ainsworth Game Technology, the North American division. Welcome to the language of business. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Mike, it finally clicked for you after six jobs and 20 years. What went wrong with the other five? Well, I don't know that it was that something went wrong. I, I think what happened was it was a realization that I didn't have passion for what I was doing anymore. And what I would say would be passion is really the key. I reached a point for whatever reason I had learned everything I could learn. I was ready for a new opportunity where I would go in and you're just counting off the hours and counting off the days. And that's not what it needs to be about. What it needs to be about is passion. You need to be present in the moment. You need to be there and you need to really enjoy what you're doing and just take in every minute you can every single day. Once that's gone, it's time to go. There's no question about it. And the interesting thing is you just know in your head when it's time to go. But you really do have a moment when it clicks in your head and you realize that it's time to go and time to find a new challenge. You went to college to pursue medicine. Then you ended up going to law school. Now you're the president of a gaming technology. A circuitous career path. Is that normal? Is that unique? Every journey is unique. Everybody has their own fingerprint in terms of what they do with their career. So I don't know if this is far from normal, I'm not sure. It's interesting in that you know I started on the legal side and the gaming regulatory side and then moved more towards operations because I enjoyed it. But I always like looking at the big picture, the full picture. You really have to look out over the entire enterprise and that's really enjoyable and a great challenge. Before our interview, you were talking about some war stories, taking a home equity line out in order to pay payroll. Tell us about that. I owned a company called Global Gaming Group, or I co-owned a company, and it was a software company where we did designing of, of, of slot machine games. And it didn't always go as well as we would have hoped. So early on, we had a very big customer who was, for whatever the reason was, reluctant to pay. We had to mortgage our future by taking a mortgage out on our house and putting it towards payroll. And really, when you do that, and then that works out, and it did work out, and then you have to do it again, and then maybe a third time, you realize that if you can come through this, you can come through just about anything. So that's really about putting your entire family's future on the line and your partner's doing the same thing. But again, once we came through that, you get an air of confidence and you realize that if you can do that, anything is possible. Mike, given all of the success and the challenges that you've had, now that you're the top dog in this division, do you manage differently because of those experiences? 
whatever got you here are things you take and you manage. What's really important is the people that work with you. I'm not a big titles guy. It doesn't really matter who you call president, who you call secretary receptionist. It, it doesn't matter. What matters more is influence and the influence you're able to have on the organization. I'm also a strong believer in mentorship. It, really, you need to have a succession plan in place from day one or at least as soon thereafter as you can. What you want to do is you want to bring people along, essentially to be able to come up and take your job because you want people in there who have that passion, who have that insight, who have that desire to themselves move up in the corporate chain. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good your product is, it's not about the product as much as it is the product with great people. So let's put yourself in the mentor's chair. How would you counsel someone who's having difficulty moving up the corporate career ladder? Well, what I would do is I would say, Find something that you like, that you have a lot of passion for. At the end of the day, passion goes a long way. And then just get in there and, what I say, block and tackle. Just deal with what's in front of you and do everything you can to do a good job there. And then things will just continue to happen for you. But is passion born or is it created by a good boss? I think it's probably a little bit of both. You have to match the person with the thing that they most enjoy and also that matches their skill sets. I always say what you try and do is you try and find someone's highest and best use within an organization. Oftentimes you'll have somebody who is very capable, very passionate, but they're in the wrong spot within the organization. So if you can take a step back and look at the group and say, well, maybe this person should be moved. Next thing you know, you have great results and they're very, very passionate about what they do. What has been your biggest success and biggest failure in the workplace to date? Well, I'll answer that question by saying my biggest success has been my biggest failure. And by that, I mean I had a company, Global Gaming Group, where we were a game design company. And it was tremendously satisfying to grow the group from the five of us to the 50 of us. And that took several years and a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, effort, as you might imagine. So that was probably my greatest success and the most enjoyable thing to be able to see something grow like that. Then, unfortunately, turned into a failure in the sense that we were then unable to take it to to the next level. You know, it's really difficult sometimes to take a company from one stage to the next. You can reach a point and then you sort of hit a brick wall. But certainly I've enjoyed all of it. I regret none of it and learned a lot through the process. And I think at this stage, really I'm at a position where I could stay where I'm at forever, assuming, you know, I can have something to add and I can have passion about it and they're happy with my performance. I could be here for the balance of my career. At this point, I don't think much about the next move. I think about this move and helping to architect this situation to be the best it can be. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Mike Dreitzer, president of the North American division of Ainsworth Game Technology. Coming up, from marketing a smart crockpot to the air freshener that no one wanted. But first, making the tough decision to move on. Once again, here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. What happens when you leave a company you co-founded? Bonnie Fendrock knows that well because it comes with the territory in her career as a successful life sciences executive. Bonnie, welcome to the language of business. It's great to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me. Data indicates that CEOs change jobs all the time, but what happens when they have to leave a company they themselves founded? Well, first, it's tremendously satisfying to build a company from the ground floor up to bring it to a commercial entity and to see it thrive and continue to grow. So that's the first thing I want to say. There's nothing better than doing that. I do think that when you transition out of a company that you founded, there's a process that's important to go through in order to get to that place where you can really reflect on what you have accomplished. And I call it the wind down and rejuvenation 
transition process. So winding down for me, and for many other CEOs who I speak with, is a process of really looking at the successes that you accomplished, as well as the lessons that you learned in building that company. Now is this a Bonnie Fenrock term, or is this a well-known well management dictum? It's a Bonnie Fenrock term, but I think it's a practice that I see many CEOs engage in when they've built a company, and they're thinking about what they're going to do next. Because it's very important to rejuvenate yourself for your next adventure. And you can't do that until you really look at what you've done, what you've learned, and clean kind of your mind in order to get excited about that next journey. And what I will say about rejuvenation is that every CEO who I've talked to has a different way of approaching that. It quiets the analytical mind, and then you maybe engage your creative mind in travel, in writing, in art, in learning something new, so that you can free yourself up to really get excited about your next opportunity. So today we're talking about transition. What have you learned? I've learned that I'm very, very fortunate to be in the profession of life sciences. Life sciences is interesting because it really doesn't afford us the opportunity to be self-absorptive. If you look around, there are so many patients in need. There are so many diseases that we still need to address. And clearly, our healthcare system is an area that needs many problems solved for it. I can't sit back for very long and say, I don't know what to do next. There's so much to do. It's a question of where I go next. When do you think it's appropriate to leave a job, even one you're excelling at, in order to get an advanced degree, such as a master's degree? I recently heard a fabulous professor from Wharton, Richard Schell, talk about his new book, Springboard. And he really sent a message that at some point in your life, it's very important to assess how achievement and satisfaction line up. And you may have achieved a significant level in your career but maybe not be that satisfied and I think if you're at that moment where maybe you've achieved quite a bit but you're not that satisfied that might be a great moment to go and take a master's degree I feel that there's so many great scientists which is where all of our innovation starts in the biotech and pharmaceutical industry it starts right in the universities and we need to help those scientists get those ideas out to commercialization but often they don't even know where to begin business plan is not part of their language so I spent a lot of time through many of the programs that are here in the Boston area, trying to mentor entrepreneurs to give them the guidance and the vision and the view of where they need to go to build their company. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Greg. It was a pleasure. Coming up, but first, marketing a smart crockpot and an air freshener that no one wanted. Next, on The Language of Business. If you enjoy listening to podcasts, and I'm guessing you do because you've gotten this far into this one, let me tell you about another one I think you'll enjoy. It's called The Story Behind Her Success. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. That's what The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry is all about. Once a week, she'll make your day and change your life by introducing you to a woman whose story is so powerful, you'll never forget it. The program host is award-winning broadcaster Candy O'Terry. She's been the Massachusetts Broadcaster Association Broadcaster of the Year and winner of 18 Gracie Allen Awards. Candy has interviewed over 800 women from every walk of life, so there's no stumbling around in this podcast. Success is so much more than the outcome. It's about the journey. It's a story of how you got there. So buckle up and go along for the ride. The story behind her success with Candy O'Terry available wherever you get podcasts. Once again, here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. 
Chuck Straven has been handpicked by four CEOs over 15 years to bring structure and stability to the organizations. He does it through expanding sales, improving margins, and identifying growth opportunities. Chuck, welcome to the language of business. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. So you have managed to go during your career from manager in your first job to CEO in your last one. In the dog-eat-dog -dog world of retail, how did you pull that feet off? You know, really, it all comes down to having great mentors, and, and at an early point in my career, just having access to opportunities for development. I've been part of some fast-moving entrepreneurial environments over the last you know, 20 plus years of my career, and literally right out of college, spent the first five years of my career in retail, and was recruited by one of my customers, Jerry Kahn and the folks at the Holmes Group in 94, in my first sales job, to join a fast-moving entrepreneurial environment. So at a relatively young age, I had exposure and access to things in the business that most people don't see day-to-day. -day. Sales planning, business development, strategic planning, finance, marketing, operations, you name it. Being part of a fast-moving environment throws you into the heat of the fire on a day-to-day -day basis. And you don't realize it at the time. You know, you don't get caught up in and really have a true appreciation and respect for what you're seeing. But over the course of 14 or 15 years, that exposure and that visibility to the true nuances of a business, really, you know, you develop a strong background. And that's, that's part of the success. Is your expertise in introducing products or repositioning them? I think in most organizations, I'm the guy who's using data to really try to figure out what's the marketplace telling us, what is our customer telling us, and really where do we need to go. There'll be times where the marketplace is stale and you do need something innovative to get it going again, but at the same time, there will be times where product just needs a basic refresh. And it's really using that data and seeing what the consumer's telling you, looking at what your retailers are telling you, and really using that data to help define where do you want to go with your product portfolio. Have you used every single product that you have either been the CEO for their company or the representative? I have not used every single product. I've actually kicked the tires on most, and that's probably a good thing, because it's funny, there have been some products over time where I thought, you know, I loved the product and it was a complete dog, and there were others where I thought, you know what, there's no way this product is going to be successful, and it's actually turned out to be a home run. Looking back at my retail career, I think I learned early on that you don't make the decision for the buyer. What you really want to do is you want to position your company and, and really identify a value proposition going in and show to them that there's a need within the marketplace and then come in and position your company as having a solution to a potential problem. You de-emphasize the focus of the widget to more what does the widget do to help solve a problem. And if you can do that, your likelihood of success will be you know, a lot higher long term. What has been your favorite product and your least favorite product? Favorite product has to be back at the Holmes Group when we acquired Rival. We looked at a company that was some Massachusetts type A personalities acquiring a slower moving Midwestern company. Crockpots and can openers and things you'd look at and say, you know what, not very exciting. But as a small electrics guy by heart, you know, that was one of the first categories that I bought right out of college. We actually developed a new technology in crockpots. You know, crockpots had been around for 75 years before we purchased the company. And we developed the first programmable smart crock pot, smart pot. It was a home run. As far as on the other side, there's been a few. We did a joint venture with a large publicly traded company in the air freshener space years ago. That was a perfect scenario where a lot of money and a lot of investment was made trying to get the product out into the marketplace. But at the end of the day, the technology didn't line up with what it was supposed to do and it was a crash and burn. It was terrible. Do you as the CEO look at your products as portfolios or do you treat them as individual products? No, you have to look at this as if you're managing the stock market. You know, really it's you're managing a portfolio of products 
product, hoping to maximize your return on investment and minimize your risk. And at the same time, just like the stock market, past successes are no indicator of future growth or future success. So it really is how do you manage that portfolio and how do you maximize the best return you possibly can while minimizing your downside or your risk. And it's funny, as I look back over 25 years, I'd use the analogy from baseball. It's all about getting on base. If you play smart baseball and you know how to put runners in scoring position, I think your success as a company long-term would be more, more likely than not. That works in the context of a baseball analogy, but each of these products have different margins. They have different cost structures. How do you then figure out what percentage succeed, what percentage fail, and what percentage are going to break even? Well, I think it all comes down to the metric that you're using. And at the end of the day, 20% or less will be that automatic home run where you just you, you hit it and it goes out of the park. From a metrics perspective, you're looking at things from a financial perspective. You know, does it hit revenue? Does it hit margin targets? You're looking at it from an engineering and from a quality control perspective. Does it fit? Is the product on time? Does it do what it's supposed to do? Do all the features and benefits line up? Can it be manufactured and produced properly? At the same time, there's a marketing component to that. Where does it fit within my portfolio? Is it going to cannibalize an existing item that's well-performing? Or is it something that's going to just add rocket fuel for development and for growth? And then more importantly, the metrics from what does it do for my retail partners and what does it do for the consumer. If you have a product and it doesn't hit the retailer's requirements, and every retailer in America has a goal and an objective and a budget for new product launches, if it fails to meet there, or more importantly, if you get the product into the marketplace and the consumer gets it home and they're not satisfied with it and it comes back, that's all part of the equation. Having good key metrics along the development process and in the life cycle of your product is truly key. At the same time, I've been involved in companies where as the product development process unfolds, we kill the product before it even gets to market. You know, it didn't hit one of the metrics along the way, either on-time delivery, cost, or just some of the other assumptions in there. So, but I would say at a, you know, at a high level, 20% using that 20% at bats, you know, two out of every 10 at bats, we're going to hit it out of the park. After 25 years of doing this, if you had to sum it up, what is the key to success? Well-engineered products or effective marketing and sales? You have to have both. You really do. You can't take a product to market and not do anything from a marketing perspective to build awareness because I've seen many products over the years, especially in entrepreneurial companies that are bootstrapped. You can have a great product, but if you're not able to promote the benefits and make the consumer aware of what they do, that product's going to die on the vine. I've seen the flip side as well, where you've, you've marketed it, but engineering fell down somewhere right. along the way. So you really need to do both and to be, you know, to be successful and have it you know, right smack in the middle. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you, Greg. Chuck Straven, 25-year history as an expert in consumer-facing products. Thanks, Greg. And that's our episode this week. You can find links to all the people and companies we've interviewed on the show notes. We now have downloads in 43 countries. Welcome to the Russian Federation in 33 states plus D.C., Thank you for the support. If you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.